Welcome to the Leading in Love podcast. If you are a leader in any capacity who is married or considering marriage, you're tuned into the right place. We help leaders take care of their marriages. Remember, you are a successful leader and your marriage and family can be successful too. You don't have to sacrifice leadership for love and you don't have to sacrifice love for leadership. And now, here are your hosts, Gary and Julie. Welcome to Leading in Love, yes. our podcast with Gary and Julie. Always excited that you guys are joining us. Now, this episode is the first of our brand new series where we talk about nonstop marriages. Mm-hmm. Kind of like forever marriages, right? Forever? Forever, ever. Forever, ever? <laughs> yes, that forever. <laughs> so, in a typical sense, marriage is usually about being in a relationship until love dies. A lot of people are leaving their marriages saying, oh, we're not in love anymore, and we're both okay with that, so we're going to move on to our next relationships. Yes. So the whole idea of until love dies is as if to say that the portion of your vows that said until death do you part basically meant when you get sick of each other and you no longer love each other, or you're not attracted to each other, or until one of you physically dies. So those are the options. Mm Mm-hmm. For your love to end. Now, what we're trying to suggest is that you can live your marriage with a nonstop, forever mindset. Yes. And here's the reality. Um, things in your life will impact your marriage drastically. We've talked about this several times. Becoming parents. Having to deal with a child who's ill. Having to bury a child. Yeah. God forbid. A mental illness that makes normal everyday functioning really difficult. Wanting to grow your career. The risk of losing a job. Having a demanding career that you know keeps you away from your home, having to deal with a spouse who suffers from mental or physical illnesses, dealing mm-hmm. with your own set of mental issues, mm-hmm. difficulty trusting the people in your lives, and these are just some of the examples of the actors on our marriages. But mm-hmm. we're saying that despite these things having, if you can have some practical things in place. Mm-hmm. It will help your marriage or help you to hang on in your marriage. So when we say nonstop marriages, we mean being able to be presently active in your marriage mm. while constantly preparing for your future. Yes. Right? Yes. So. The practical things of marriage, okay? Have you sat down and considered your values, your vision, mm-hmm. your passion? Your your purpose. Right. Okay? Have you been paying attention to your health, your wellness, your wealth, and how all these things operate with each other? Some people sacrifice health, wellness, passion, and vision for wealth. True. While others are able to acquire wealth and progress through their passion and purpose while paying attention to their health and wealth. I agree. The fact remains that when some of these practical things are absent from your personal life, you start looking at things and people to blame. And 
women, a lot of the times we end up blaming those people that are closest to us. Those are our spouses, Mm -hmm. our marriage, our children, even go back to our parents. Right. So we're going to examine some of these practical things that are required for nonstop marriages. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges that people have faced for years is being able to provide for their families without sacrificing passion, purpose, and values. Mm -hmm. Uh, When our job doesn't provide these things, we might turn to our community to see where we can fit in or how we can contribute or how we can give back. Right. We're going to be talking about seven practical things that help create a nonstop marriage. And you mentioned them. Mm -hmm. Purpose. Right. Passion. Values. Mm -hmm. Health and wellness. Mm -hmm. Wealth. Family and community. Right. These seven practical things will help you create a nonstop marriage. So, my beautiful wife. The first one. You can start us out. All right. Let's start off with purpose. Right. Okay. Purpose is defined as the reason for why something is done or why something exists. Right. A lot of people aim to answer the question, why am I alive? Mm -hmm. Why was I created? For many individuals, their parents help them figure out their purpose, right? Well, parents should be helping, Mm -hmm. okay? For others, it was a light at the end of... Of the tunnel moment. Yeah, so maybe they might have dealt with like a tragedy. Maybe a tragedy. Maybe something within their school age right. from from teachers. Right. Um, maybe something within, you know, university if they went to university. Mm-hmm. But it could be something tr- traumatic that right. occurred to right. them right. or someone that's closest to them. Yeah, where they kind of realize how frail they were. Yeah. That, you know what? Uh, I could have died from that. It Absolutely. Yeah. This is important in marriages. Sometimes people get married and just stop living. Sadly. Very sadly. They go to work. They have a nice looking home. But there is very little drive for achievement based on their marriage. Some people just watch what others have and try to imitate or outdo. (laughs) True. Busy competing with their neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Keeping up with the Joneses. Well, homie, we are going to be the Joneses. (laughs) Yeah, just be the Joneses, you know, set your own standard. Yeah, true, true. Everybody has a purpose, and we don't believe that people were created to destroy others. Right. Okay? We were created to make each other better. And one of the best places to pursue purpose is in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you have constant support from your spouse. This is ideal But imagine if each spouse took a hard look at their own life and then examine each other's purpose and then work diligently to help each other reach that point of destiny. That is a recipe for a nonstop marriage. I totally agree. And then, so purpose, now we jump to passion. Mm -hmm. So passion is defined as a strong and barely controllable emotions. So basically, it's a very powerful feeling. Mm-hmm. And the ideal setting is when you have passion to support your purpose, mm-hmm. but when purpose is established. It's mm-hmm. known. It's known, yeah. When purpose is not known, then passion can be very deadly. Mm-hmm. If you're passionate about the wrong thing, mm-hmm. now you're on a path to destruction, possibly. Right. And that's dangerous. Now, one of my favorite athletes of all time is Michael Jordan. I love basketball. Michael Jordan is considered to be the GOAT, greatest mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. Now, he retired from the NBA 
for the first time at age 33. Mm-hmm. And this was after winning his third NBA championship. And he said that he, and I quote, or the quote I got from the internet, he no longer had the desire to play. Yeah. Now, if you know the story of Michael Jordan, there was a lot of things going on in his life. The biggest thing was when his father was brutally murdered. Yeah. And that probably drained him. Yeah. Okay, because his dad was one of his biggest inspirations. You read yeah. the stories, you watch the videos. His dad pushed him and, and supported him. So when he died, it's, I'm pretty sure his world came tumbling down. But bottom line is, for Michael, his passion was gone. Mm-hmm. So you could also argue that he was trying to find purpose or reestablish purpose at this time, but he lost passion for what he was doing as it pertained to basketball. Right. He tried playing baseball, and then he returned to the NBA and won three more championships. Then he retired again. Mm-hmm. Then he came back again, apparently for business purposes, and would eventually finally retire. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're playing basketball, if you're hooping, you know you want to hoop in a pair of J's. <laughs> right? So he came back, and his brand of basketball shoes the most popular. Apparently, right. he has the biggest market share for all basketball shoes. He also owns the Charlotte Hornets, an NBA team. All of this we derive from his professional life. Mm. But what we always, what the commentators will say is that Michael Jordan is always identified as a winner. Right. He hated losing. Yeah. His passion was winning. And yes, he lost a lot of games, some big ones, but he won a lot of big ones. He won a lot of significant ones. So when people try to talk about who's the best basketball player, yeah, we always compare them to... Michael Jordan. Absolutely. Because he's identified as winning. Mm -hmm. Now, another person that I really admire, reading their story, Mother Teresa. Yeah. Mother Teresa. She has a remarkable story that combines passion with purpose. Yeah. She was born in Albania, I believe. I hope I got that right. Mm -hmm. But she spent most of her years working with and caring for children in Calcutta. Yeah. India. Yes. Now, passion is important in your marriage relationship. Like... You know, when it's time to get down, you get down. You get down passionately. <laughs> <laughs> but. Well, you should. You know, like, you, you don't know, get down a quarter of the way. Or you the, don't get down done. halfway. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you, you got to get down the whole way passionately, <laughs> right? But passion is also what drives a person. Okay? And I, yeah. know, I know what Julie, I know what you're passionate about. Yeah. You know what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And we work hard to help each other clear the stage so that we can be passionate without being drained or stressed. Yes. Right? In and, and outside passion. the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we must get down passionately. Okay, yes, but we're talking beyond here. Right, we're talking about passion for, again, combining passion with purpose. Absolutely. Now, the next thing that we're going to look at is values. And values are a person's principles or standards of behavior. These are things that we see as important. They're of worth. They have tremendous usefulness. It's mm-hmm. our principles, our morals, certain rules that we have for ourselves, certain boundaries, certain ethics, certain edicts, certain ordinances. For example, us. Our values are education and a good home. Mm-hmm. So we put a lot of energy into this. We mm-hmm. make sure our children have a good home. We make sure that they have right, the right educational opportunities. We try to minimize the noise and excuses as much as possible. And we have a set of family values that, remember, we sat down yep. and we created these family values with our children. Yeah. Based, and then now we based the rules of the house mm-hmm. on these family values. Absolutely. So if our children have an issue with how we're disciplined, they can actually go back to the family values and look at it and say, okay, what did we agree on? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So even things like how we speak to each other, how we treat each other, what we expect from each other. And the good thing is that they help us hold each other accountable. Absolutely. And not only inside the home, but it helps us how we treat people outside of the family. Right. And how we allow others to treat us. Right. And we hold each other accountable to that. So bottom line, values are useful for a nonstop marriage because they help you manage your own marriage relationship as well as relationships outside of your marriage, whether business or personal. Mm-hmm. So the next one is health and wellness. Yeah. Okay. According to World Health Organization, health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Okay? The National Wellness Institute defines wellness as an active process of becoming aware of and making choices toward a more successful existence. There are eight dimensions of wellness. Spiritual. Mm -hmm. Emotional, intellectual, physical, cultural, occupational, social, and environmental. Right. That that covers a lot of stuff. It does. Yeah. Health and wellness requires four things, okay? Self-awareness, self-responsibility, self-generation, and self-care. Right. So self-awareness, that is being aware of who you are, being at each moment, and therefore knowing what you need to be successful in that moment. Right. Okay? Self-responsibility is owning up to your responsibility for health and happiness and does not allow others to take control over your decisions that you need to make for yourself. True, true, true. All right? Self-regulation is being proactive. Sorry, self, self, self-generation, not regulation. I apologize is being proactive in your effort to acquire the knowledge and skill to help make you better, okay? And then self-care is you actually do what you are required to do without being reminded or told. Right. When both spouses are actively taking care of their health and are wellness conscious, they require less intervention and less opinion from the outside world but they know where to go for help. And that's, that's key. It is key. Yeah. They don't create additional stress by trying to figure things out that are outside their areas of expertise of skill. They know exactly where to go for help. And that keeps you healthy and well. Absolutely. Right. So the next one is wealth. What does wealth mean to you? A lot mm-hmm. of people view wealth as, as the ability to buy things. Mm. Okay, and it's it's clearly more than them. Yeah. Because in our society, we have access to credit. So credit allows you to buy things that you might not necessarily have all the money to purchase up front. Right. Not everybody has $420,000 to buy their house. Like mm-hmm. That money's not sitting in your dresser, and you're going to pull it out, throw it in a plastic bag, go to the, the, dealer, the builder and say, hey, give me a house. It doesn't work like that. No. Okay? You... Come up with your down payment. Mm -hmm. The bank covers the rest. You pay the bank over 25 years at a certain interest rate. Right. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, bottom line is, the more money you have, though, or the greater your earning potential, given the right circumstances, good credit, collateral, low risk of unemployment, is the more credit you have access to. Mm -hmm. So, credit does give you access to assets 
but at a price of liability, which means you don't own the asset until you eliminate the debt. Mm-hmm. So wealth is more than credit. Mm-hmm. Would you rather pass on debt or ownership to your children? Absolutely. Some things take time to own. Like my dad was a farmer mm-hmm. growing up in rural Jamaica and you know, technically he still is, except he's not there anymore. But uh, he owns farmland. And the land that he wasn't working, he would rent out to other people. Mm-hmm. Okay? So people would come, they rent the land, they sow, they reap. And they needed to be wise with their proceeds. Because what could happen is that over time, if they're wise with their money, they could now acquire their own land. Mm-hmm. And in turn, turn around and rent that land to somebody else. Mm-hmm. The point is that ownership usually takes time. Yeah, it does. So wealth is not about being able to buy stuff. It's about generating ownership. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you're going to be able to pass on wealth to your children as a couple, you're going to have to invest a lot of time. Yeah. A lot of couples are in court, in divorce court, battling over ownership of assets. And they use children, their life skills, their mental and physical health as reasons why they should be the primary recipient of certain assets. Actually, Angelina Jolie Mm. and Brad, they, I think it's, they're in their third year now trying to divide ownership because of all that they have. You know, they have all those children. Um, they have all that wealth. So, yes, ownership does take time. It takes time to build, and yep. it takes time to separate. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Ray Dalio, or Ray Diallo, he's listed as one of the world's wealthiest people. And he gave an interview on Freakonomics Radio a while back. And he mentioned that he was in the third stage of life. And this is a stage of life where he's able to actively contribute to others through mentoring, philanthropy, leadership development, and this is all tied to the resources that he, he has acquired over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he founded Bridgewater Associates, which now has over $160 billion in assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Dial himself is almost 70 years old, and he was married in 1977. And him and his wife have four boys who, when I did some research on this, they seem to be doing neat things. One of them is a CEO of a company. One's a film director. Mm-hmm. One is a wildlife filmmaker. Okay. And I forget what the other one does. But Ray, his wife, Warren Buffett, and Bill Gates um, have this giving pledge uh-huh. that Ray Diallo joined Bill Gates and Warren Buffett on. Uh-huh. And they vowed to donate more than half of their fortune to charitable causes within their lifetime. Uh-huh. Now, realistically, this would have been difficult in, in Ray's initial years working on the New York Stock Exchange, being recently married and probably started having kids. Uh-huh. But over the years, he was able to build wealth. He's still married. Uh-huh. Remember, he was married in 77, now uh-huh. in 2018. Right. It's 41 years. He's yeah. still married. His children are doing what they want to do, and he's able to contribute to the betterment of the world. That's the point. Uh-huh. Wealth is not about being able to buy stuff now. Yeah. It's about being able to give your kids, your children, opportunities for the future Yes. But help to create the world around them yes. by giving 
access to other people. Absolutely. So it's not just it's not even just about you and your immediate offspring. It's no. about contributing to the rest of the world. Yeah. So that your children could grow up in the ideal place. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I found this really cool article by Business Insider and it's it's entitled it was written in October 2015 and it's entitled The 20 Most Generous People in the World. Okay. So they listed the person, their lifetime donations, their net worth at the time, and their generosity index. Mm-hmm. Okay? The generosity index is just expressed in the lifetime donations as a percent of current net worth. Okay. So if you have 10 bucks mm-hmm. and your current net worth is, so sorry, your current net worth is 10 bucks, you gave away $20 over your lifetime. That means you gave away 200% of your money. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I hope that math makes sense. So let me go through some examples. So number one on that list was Bill Gates. Let's go. His generosity index was 32%, where he gave away $27 billion and has a net worth of $84.2 billion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that math checks out. Number two on the list, not surprisingly, was Warren Buffett. He gave away $21.5 billion and had a net worth and has a net worth of $61 billion. Mm-hmm. So his generosity index was 35%. 21.5 over 61 is 35%. Right. I'm going to jump to number five. This guy's name was Charles Francis Feeney, whose lifetime donations is $6.5 billion. His net worth now, or at the time of the article, $1.5 million. Wow. He gave away $6.5 billion, mm-hmm. and now his net worth... All the assets that he has mm-hmm. is only $1.5 million. Wow, wow. That wow. means that he gave away, check this out, 420,000% of his earnings. Lad. That's why he's known as the James Bond of philanthropy. There we go. Now, number six was Suleiman bin Abdul Aziz Al-Raji. hope I said that right. And he's co-founder of one of the largest Islamic banks. His generosity index is 966%, wow. and he's worth $590 million. Number seven was Gordon Moore, who gave away 77% of his money. Now, back to Charles Feeney for a second. Uh-huh. According to his organization's website, Charles Feeney believes in giving while living. Uh-huh. Uh, he founded the Atlantic Philanthropies in 1982 because he also believes that the best use of one's wealth... It's to help people. Uh-huh. No wonder on his website it says that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates look up to Charles. Yeah. So, clearly wealth is tied to your values. What do you value? It's also tied to your purpose and passion. Again, what does wealth mean to you? How does it fit in your perspective on life? If you have the right perspective of wealth, you and your spouse can contribute great things to the world together. That's a nonstop marriage. Think about it. Ray Dalio, married 41 years. Yeah. And he's giving back, him and his spouse. Bill Gates. Continuously. Warren Buffett. Charles Feeney. These guys are still giving back, and they're right there with their spouses. And if you, you know, even simplify it even more. If you're willing to give to those that you don't even know, how much more are you willing to give, even from a more intimate level and more personal level, to those that are closest to you? Absolutely. Which means, at the end of the day, you're not going to hold on to small little things. And you, will, you are willingly 
what's the right word? To sacrifice yes. certain things for your spouse. I agree. Which will uphold your marriage. Mm-hmm. So what's the next one? Family. Marriage is the ideal place to nurture a family. Okay? There's no proof that this is not true. While children living in homes where both parents are married might have negative outcomes, there is more evidence to support children living with married parents having positive outcomes. Yes. Richard Reeves and Eleanor Krauss, Krauss, sorry, for the Brookings Institution, a nonprofit public policy organization based in Washington, D.C., published an article in, um, in April 2017 that showed the different outcomes for children and families where the parents are married versus those who are cohabitating. It was a neat article, okay? The article made two claims that were referred to as two important and largely uncontestable facts. And I quote, Family stability is important for childhood outcomes. All else equal children raised in stable families are healthier, better educated, and more likely to avoid poverty than those who experience transitions in family structure. Okay. Okay. Next one. Married parents are more likely to stay together than cohabitating ones. Mm -hmm. In fact, two-thirds of cohabitating parents split up before their child reaches age 12, compared with one quarter of married parents. 33% compared to 25%. Yeah. Pretty big gap in this conversation. Absolutely. They pointed out some important things in the article that caught my attention. Okay. Okay. The first one is, Births to married mothers are less likely to be unintended. Why? Because they're making love all the time? (laughs) (laughs) You're being silly. I am. Okay, two. Unintended parenthood is associated with a higher risk of union disillusion. Mm. Okay? Three. Unintended births are less likely to be unwanted by married couples and are less likely to derail a marriage. So, basically, if you're married mm-hmm. and a kid pops up, yep. you're not going to break up with your wife or husband and say, you did this to me, and leave because they had a kid that you weren't, you didn't want to have. Whereas if you're cohabitating, mm-hmm. she tricked me. He tricked me. There you go. Right. There you go. Okay. okay, the fourth one, married couples typically don't drift into parenthood. They plan it. Yeah, so that's those two kids working at the grocery store who are dating. Yeah. They're doing it, messing yeah. around, goofing around, <laughs> kissing up in the back. Next thing, they're parents. So that's drifting into parenthood. That's drifting into parenthood. When you get married, you kind of expect to be parents. Well, I mean, let's just talk about you and I for a minute. Well, we kind of drifted. We drifted into parenthood, into yeah. marriage. Yeah. But then they, after that one was born, parenthood showed <laughs> up. Four kids in total. Four kids in total. Yeah. But thankfully, we already had the mindset that we wanted to marry That's each true. other. That's very true. But that was because we had that mindset mm-hmm. of wanting to marry each other. And you set the standard of saying, if we're going to have this child, we're going to be married earlier. Yeah. 
And we're not just going to live together. And we're going to build our family. And we're going to build our family. I'm glad we're here today. We just have to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> at 20. Average age at we the time. We were babies. Don't remind uh, me. Yeah. Because our children are starting to get to that age. <laughs> <laughs> the next point that caught my attention, okay, was drifting into parenthood doesn't set the stage for stability. Yeah, it's, it's very tough, though. I mean, it we is. look back in our life, and it was it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, it was definitely tough. tough those couple of years, those first few years. Yeah. Okay, number six. Most married parents have been to college. Most cohabitating parents not. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Seven. Married parents earn more income. Now, those were the points that stood out. After all these together show positive outcomes for children and families where the parents are married. Okay, your family is one of those practical aspects of marriage that allows you to build a non-stop marriage. I agree. So the, the, the last point is community. Now, this is usually outside of your home. For example, your church, your place of worship. Those who you are connected to culturally, socially, socioeconomically. Um, you know, maybe an organization that supports your vision and purpose. Perhaps your own philanthropic endeavor. Here's the thing. As couples, you want to do community together. If you don't, it becomes a burden for one person mm -hmm. that now becomes a burden for the other person. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, if you're in church, you do ministry together. Leave that my ministry business alone. Before long, you're going to be competing with each other for time mm -hmm. and resources. Mm -hmm. uh, you might be forfeiting your, your responsibility at home. Then you become angry at your spouse and accusing them for being unsupportive. And then now you're doing ministry by yourself. Mm -hmm. It's better to adopt an our ministry mindset or an our initiative mindset. Like Bill and Melinda Gates mm -hmm. or Ray and Barbara Dahlia or mm -hmm. Barack and Michelle Obama. And several other couples out there who do their community initiatives together. You know, one of the things that really caught my attention that made me appreciate Barack and, and, and Michelle Obama, for example, mm -hmm. is she shared how he continuously um, was being recommended and, 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 and encouraged to run for presidency. Right. And every time people approached him, hey, you should be doing this, you should be doing this, because Michelle was not ready he would always say, well, this is a family decision. Right. He never said, my wife ain't trying to do this thing mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Or, you know what, let me just jump into this. It was until she took on that hat and say, let me, and she, and I'm going to quote, she said, I had to take off my Michelle hat and put on my citizen hat. Right. I had to take off my wife hat because I knew the stress that was going to come on to my husband. Mm. And I had to put on my citizen hat because I knew what the country needed and what the world needed at that time. Right. And when she was able to put that on, she went and said, okay, boo, let's do this. Yep. And he reassured her that he will always be by her side and stand with her. That's beautiful. Yeah. Again, nonstop 
marriage. Yeah, you guys. That's why people are hashtagging relationship goals <laughs> when they post up her, their picture. Well, I mean, <laughs> our community involvement is based on our life goals, mm-hmm. and you know, the business that we have are based on our values, which is education and shelter. At the end of the day, right? That's, that's under that underscores the things that we get involved with yeah. or in. Yes. Um, when these things are missing. When your values and purpose and passion, all those things are missing. Because mm-hmm. they shape who you're going to be, who mm-hmm. you want to be, right. and how you do things. So when these things are missing, it makes life very difficult. So for non-stop marriages, your community initiative yeah. has to be a collective mindset. Right. Not one person out doing one thing. I'm going to save the world. <laughs> and then the, sp- the other spouse is on the other side. I'm saving the world. Mm-hmm. You're not saving anybody. You're just stressing yourself. Do it together. And you have a better chance of impacting the world. You don't have to save the world. Just impact the world in a positive way. <laughs> Do your part. So non-stop marriages require a practical approach to your marriage. Purpose, passion, values, health and wellness, wealth, family and community. Having these things sorted out in your marriage will enable leadership outside of the home. You'll be more optimistic about your marriage. and More committed and involved. In part two of this series, we're going to talk about the importance of communicating early and often in order to create a non-stop marriage. So that's a plug for part two of this series. Absolutely. Yay. All right, everybody. That is our feature for today. Thank you again for hanging out with us. We love spending time with you. We do. All right. Remember, you are a successful Successful leader leader in your marriage and family. Can be. be.